Welcome to this week's podcast, Building Blocks of the Indian Economy. I'm your host, Amar Meni. We've previously examined India's production and consumption of food and noticed some quite clear trends. Three super crops account for over half of India's food production, sugar, wheat, and rice. And so more and more land has been used to cultivate such crops, often new land where these foods have not been grown before. As for consumption, we found that Indians' intake of these staples, particularly wheat and rice, has been declining rapidly as a share of total food consumption. This is in keeping with more prosperous households, which now have more money to spend on other foods. What are those other foods? Well, we found that in the past 10 years particularly, there has been a surge in demand for fruits and vegetables, milk and dairy products. So this week, we will take a look at India's trade in agriculture. What are we growing more of and sending abroad as exports? And what do we not grow enough of and have to import? Well, the trade in agricultural goods is amongst the oldest trade in the world. Anyone who has opened an economics textbook will remember the standard examples given to demonstrate theories of comparative advantage. Usually something like England grows carrots and France grows grapes and by trading with each other, they both benefit. If we look at small industrialized countries like England and Japan, they have, in their path to modernization, largely given up on the idea of feeding themselves, and are large net importers of food. They have relatively small populations, scarcity of land, high levels of urbanization, and at least in previous generations, high levels of industrialization and so they are happy to buy their food from abroad. India is largely the opposite of these countries, with a huge landmass, much of it fertile, a huge population, relatively poor, with lower levels of industrialization and urbanization. The challenge has been, in its development path, to just feed itself, and today the country manages to do that, and has also become a sizable net exporter of food to the world. So let us take a look at the basket of goods that we export to the world and that food that we have to import. Well, I should say that although India is a net exporter of food, it is not really an export-oriented agricultural economy. The orientation is very much towards feeding its own population. And as an afterthought, if there are surplus stocks, these will be sent abroad. I give the example of rice. You may have heard the news recently that the government of India is banning the export of certain non-Basmati rice to conserve domestic stocks and help cool prices. Well, India only exports about 10% of its total rice production, even in a good year. Now, that 10% still makes it the world's biggest exporter of rice, accounting for about 40% of the global rice trade. A lot of that rice goes to our neighboring regions of Southeast Asia and the Middle East. But a lot also goes to very poor African countries, which rely on this affordable and plentiful Indian rice coming in year after year. India's nearest competitors in the rice trade are Thailand and Vietnam, much smaller countries which export a much larger share of their rice production. That is, they are export-oriented rice economies. But whilst rice makes the headlines, you may be surprised to know that it is not India's biggest earner among food exports. 
that title goes to seafood. Yes, India's most lucrative food export is fish, and more specifically, frozen shrimp. These shrimp farms are dotted up and down the west and east coasts, with the biggest producer being Andhra Pradesh. Where did these frozen shrimp go? Well, the biggest customer is the United States. There is a good chance that the shrimp on an American table will be from a farm in Andhra Pradesh. You may also be surprised to know that besides fish, rice and spices, the next most lucrative food export is beef. Okay, let's stay calm. No, it's not the meat of the cow. But it is known as carabeef in international markets. That is, buffalo meat. This industry is about 20 years old now and is largely the creation of the Manmohan Singh-led UPA government back in the 2000s. It changed the rules to allow for the slaughter of buffaloes, particularly female buffaloes, which were past the stage of giving milk. The meat taken off the bone is then prepared for export. A big buyer is Malaysia, and some even makes its way to China via Vietnam. But Middle Eastern countries are also big consumers. This buffalo meat is not generally consumed as a slice or as a steak, but is used in making mincemeat and hamburger patties and the like. Closely following buffalo meat in exports is sugar. Again, in the past, the government has banned or restricted sugar exports when domestic prices have been high. And Indian sugar goes abroad, again, mainly in our region, Southeast Asia and the Middle East. One point of interest is that our very near neighbor, Bangladesh, is among the biggest buyers of all our top agricultural exports, from rice to sugar and meat. Now, if we look at India in the basic framework of comparative advantage, then we can see that we are endowed with land and labor, but not so much water. Of course, one can inject technology into the equation, in this case irrigation, but it would not seem like a particularly good idea that India export water-intensive crops, like rice and sugar. It is able to do so by having brought more land in previously non-rice-growing, drier parts of the country under cultivation. The example of Punjab, now growing rice, comes to mind. Likewise, Uttar Pradesh has traditionally been the center of sugarcane production in India, but more and more sugarcane is now being grown in Maharashtra and Karnataka. India's exports of rice and sugar are often portrayed as success stories, but we have to keep a couple of things in mind. We are essentially exporting a scarce commodity, water, in the process. And both these crops are only exported as an afterthought, assuming domestic supplies and prices are comfortable. On the other hand, India's exports of seafood, particularly frozen shrimp, as well as buffalo meat, tend to be less celebrated, they don't make the headlines, but both are export-oriented industries. The vast share of production goes for export and both are leaving less environmental damage behind. Now, if we turn to imports, there is one food that tops the list. It dwarfs all other imports in terms of both volume and value. That is, vegetable oil. India has been in mission mode since the 1980s at least, trying to boost production of vegetable seeds, which are then converted into vegetable oil. 
But while some increases in production have taken place at various times, production has never been able to keep up with domestic demand. Foreigners often find Indian food, well, uh, a bit too oily for their tastes, and it seems that Indians cannot get enough oil on their plates, with consumption doubling in the last decade. Imports come from Malaysia and Indonesia for palm oil, and from Argentina, Brazil, as well as Russia and Ukraine for sunflower oil. The import bill is almost in the dimension of India's other oil bill, crude oil for transport, in terms of the outflow of foreign exchange each year. A long way behind on the import list is fresh fruits. Traditionally, imported fruits have been quite expensive, and only for the richest households, but increasingly they are coming into the price points of the middle class, particularly apples, oranges, kiwis and avocados. You may be interested to know that our biggest supply of imported apples, and even kiwis, is neighbouring Iran. Now, India is even a net importer of pulses, that is dal, although in smaller quantities with supplies coming in from some East African countries, as well as neighbouring Myanmar. So we now know that India exports seafood, rice, buffalo meat and sugar, whilst it imports vegetable oil and fresh fruits and some dal. The fact that India is a net exporter of food is all the more amazing because India has amongst the lowest productivity, the lowest yields in agriculture in the world. It is the largest exporter of rice in the world whilst being amongst the least productive, lowest yield producers of rice in the world. India uses a lot of land to grow relatively little rice by world standards. This low yield phenomenon is not confined to rice but is observed across the range of just about every major crop. That would beg the question, does India really have a comparative advantage in these crops, or is it just misusing its resources, land, labour and water, to produce these crops inefficiently and send the surplus, when there is enough, abroad? Or, to look at it another way, India's rice yield is about half the global average. India might produce about 130 million tons in a year and send about 10% or 10 to 15 million tons abroad. Now what if, a big if, India reached at least somewhere near the global yield and doubled its production to about 250 million metric tons and began to export 40 to 50% of production each year? That would really change the game of the international rice trade. Global demand is only going to continue to grow, particularly from the growing population in Africa. Another approach would be to focus on the Indian population and its own changing dietary needs. Now we can assume the current low yields in this scenario, maintain production levels closer to the current rates, but we would shift land use from sugar and wheat and rice and diversify cropping towards vegetables fruit, and the production of vegetable oils, besides meat and dairy. See, I would argue that at the moment India is a player in the international agricultural trade mainly due to spillovers from domestic production, with a couple of exceptions being buffalo meat and seafood. And then on the import side, the great need for vegetable oil persists. But besides that, 
India's imports and exports tend to be niche, and Indian producers are relatively small players in many global markets. The thing which prevents India being an agricultural powerhouse which could feed the world is not a shortage of natural endowments, but largely the low yields produced by Indian farmers. And I would argue that the principal reason for low yields is the tiny size of Indian farms compared to the mechanized, modernized farming of the United States, Europe, or even China. Now, given that this affliction, tiny land holdings, does not look likely to change anytime soon, and yields will remain well below global averages, Indian agricultural policy needs to be firmly focused on feeding the Indian population in a more diverse array of foods. A shift away from wheat, sugar and rice towards fruit and vegetables and dairy and meat. That is not to say that India should not trade. Export industries should be cultivated for niche products and we should not be shy from importing food which cannot feasibly be grown in India. The aim should be for a balance of trade in agriculture between imports and exports, that is, imports and exports roughly equal, driven by the necessities of the time. Of course, I would love to see India as a great breadbasket for the world, but that would require a revolution in Indian farming, principally the consolidation of land holdings, bigger farms, corporate farming, higher yields, which only remains in the realm of fantasy. For now.